Okay, just sometimes we all feel a little sorry for ourselves. Not just if you're a man with a little bit of a cold, but for all sorts of different reasons. Um, And how do we respond when rubbish happens, when things happen in our lives? Um, You might find it helpful to have your Bibles open. Uh, that we're going to read the passage in the minute. It's on page 1,178. Or feel free to also uh, use your Bible app if you prefer to do that. Uh, so it's Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Now, the Bible reading tonight that we're about to hear and I read comes from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Yes, it's a letter. Paul is writing to the people who go to the church in Philippi, now in modern-day Greece. This church, Paul knew and knew well, and he loved the people there. But where is Paul writing from? Well, he's writing this letter from jail, uh, maybe in Rome or maybe in Ephesus. Now, before we see what his mood is when he's writing to this Holy Trinity Philippi, um, there's another letter that Paul wrote to a very different church, this time the one in Corinth. In this letter, Paul effectively writes his own succinct Wikipedia entry. <laughs> Listening, uh, li- listen to this summary of all the tough things that he's been through so far. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So I think we have to agree he had it really tough. And now, after all of this, after traveling hundreds of miles, preaching and baptizing, seeing people coming to their own faith in the living Lord Jesus, but now the journey seems to have come to an end. He's imprisoned. Let's see how all this and his daily concern for all the churches, including the one in Philippi, affects how he writes to them in this letter to those he loves. Anna, could you come and read from the passage? Thank you, Anna. So, right from the offset, Paul says, so that, they, that we are in no doubt whatsoever. Now, I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Firstly, see how Paul starts this sentence. Now, I want you to know this, brothers and sisters. This is important. So listen up, church. What does Paul want us to know? He wants us to know that everything that has happened, God has used to advance the gospel. The gospel being the good news, the life-changing good news of Jesus' love, his sacrifice and rescue plan for all humankind. God used all of his life experiences so far to bring his message of hope and love to so many people through Paul. 
even now with Paul locked up, Paul still sees God at work. He wants his audience then and now, that's us, to be encouraged and look for God in all that life throws at us. Asking ourselves, where is God in all this? Is such a good thing to ask ourselves whenever happens to us. Where is God in all of this? And if you look closely, he's surely there with you. The section that Anna read for us, though, is really real. Paul does not sugarcoat life. He confronts the fact that he's in prison. Then he confronts a real issue that he and the church are facing about how different preachers are preaching for different reasons. But we'll come to that in more detail soon. For now, I want us to recognize that even in jail and with these frictions in the church, he sees much, so much to be joyous about. Although he's in prison, this has two amazing effects. Firstly, those who actually imprisoned him have been deeply affected by coming close to Paul. I think with his passion for Jesus and the gospel, what chance did they really have? Secondly, Paul's example has had a huge effect too on the local church, encouraging them to speak out about their faith and trust in Jesus even more because of what they see Jesus doing in Paul's life. Maybe they said to themselves, if Paul can be full of joy about Jesus in prison, then surely we can be too. This teaches us about how important it is to encourage each other. And this is why being part of a small group is such a godsend. It's so lovely to encourage each other each week, coming close to each other and each other's lives, talking of real life together, and how being a Christian makes all the difference to how we live and love. Now, one aspect of my work life is that I often find myself spending, I think you're sort of picking up on this now, I spend long periods of time in airports, and often, I'm with just one colleague. These times are great opportunities for conversations to turn away from work and onto more personal issues. And actually, often, and very naturally, people want to know about my life too and how I handle different situations. So the British Airways Lounge can be an amazing opportunity to share and advance the gospel. So can I plead with you to look out for these situations when in your life uh, you can really take an opportunity to listen to people and also when they ask, you can be ready to explain the hope that is in your life because of Jesus. But as Peter said in his first letter, always with gentleness and respect. So where are your British Airways lounge opportunities? When do you get the time to talk to and spend time with a colleague, friend, fellow student? Look out for those opportunities and take them. Okay, back to the passage. Notice too in the passage that the believers back then, they were encouraged by Paul's experience, but they are not placing their trust on him. For them, Paul's experience demonstrates that they should place their trust in Jesus, not Paul. We go wrong when we place our trust in other humans, even Christian heroes. We go wrong when we miss how good God is to them and focus on their heroism. 
God's loving grace in their life is what we should focus on. The same God adores us all. And he wants us to trust him more and more each day. And this is what happens to the believers in verse 14 when their confidence grows in Jesus so that they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So moving on to the second part of our passage, starting at verse 15. Here, Paul's turn, Paul turns to an, op, to an issue that has been troubling many in the church, the issue of motivation behind why people preach. But first I want to say, notice how Paul is not afraid to call a spade a spade. This is a difficult issue that could easily have been avoided. But he openly names and discusses issues that the people were facing. This is a real letter to a real church from their caring pastor. Why would he not want to and need to help them in thinking through this situation? We too as individuals or as families or as whole churches need to confront situations that are affecting us. And I love the way Paul is so honest about this situation. Something I think as Christians, we can think that everything in our life has to be wonderful. Everything should be wonderful. I remember a few years ago talking to a chap just out there over coffee after the service, asking him how he was, and he said, yes, everything was wonderful. It was so obvious that it wasn't the case. After talking more honestly, I asked him why he said it was all good when it obviously wasn't, and he said it wasn't. He said it was because as Christians, everything should be good. So that's why he said it was all good. It's really sad if as broken, imperfect Christians, we still try to kill it, kid ourselves and each other that everything is good. There is one thing for certain. God sees through this pretense completely. Just like those who wrote the Psalms, he longs for us to come honestly to him. But also with each other. If there's one place we should be able to be ourselves, it should be here. So after the service, when somebody asks you how you're doing, feel completely at liberty to be so un-British and say, well, actually, it's pretty tough at the moment. So let's get back to the passage again. Uh, what's going on with Paul? What is the situation he is being honest about? It's to do with the motivation behind why those preaching in the church are preaching. Well, I prepared this talk, um, did the final preparation for it in the garden uh, yesterday. Beautiful day. And as I sat there, it made me stop and ponder. What is the motivation behind why I preach? One thing about being uh, in training um, to be an ordained minister in the Church of England is that it certainly gives you plenty of time to really reflect on deep questions like this. I get so much out of preaching. I love the preparation time, really getting deep into a piece of scripture. The pressure that you will be preaching on these verses in just a few days is an amazing incentivizer and focuses your mind and your heart to understand the text and also listen to God to hear what elements of the message to express and also what not to because all scripture is so rich, I think it's actually impossible to exhaust a piece of scripture. There's always things you leave out. I also believe that the Holy Spirit is intimately involved 
in the preparation of these talks, the speaking of them, and in your listening of them, and how you're digesting and thinking about the passage and what I said. As Christians, we believe that God inspired those who wrote the scriptures. So just as Paul was in that prison cell, when he, the Holy Spirit was with him, inspiring him to write these words that we have read. And then 2,000 years later, when I prepared yesterday and days before that, I asked for his help and guidance, praying that the Holy Spirit would be with me to understand the text and understand the living word of God. And then hopefully he's helping now to express these words clearly from my mouth. And then as you read the passage for yourself and you're pondering on what you've read and also what you're hearing from me, I pray and trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding you to focus on the things that he knows you need to focus on, prompting certain key points in you. So it's an awesome privilege and responsibility to preach, but also a daunting one. For a long time in my career, I have presented to a very large groups of people, encouraging them maybe in a technical strategy that the company was taking, or explaining a new software product and its wonderful benefits. But this is nothing compared to preaching and the pleasure of talking about Jesus. Nothing prepares you for the importance and joy of preaching. Talking about the gospel, the thing that saves lives, changes lives, brings joy for all eternity. Nothing is more important, whether you are preaching to four people or 400. God can, through his spirit, change lives over what is said and what is heard. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is an amazing pastor. This process flow, reading, understanding, speaking, listening, and applying, where the Holy Spirit is involved throughout, is actually not limited, though, to just those people standing at the front of church. If you're a small group leader, if you're a mum and dad, if you do talks in children's groups, if you are a friend to somebody, then the Holy Spirit, too, loves to be with you in every step of the way, understanding Bible, understanding how good God is, and having the words to say to that friend, whether it be one person or a hundred people. Actually, this also applies to your own Bible study. He's there, helping you to understand what you're reading, and then prompts you to see how what God is saying through the words applies to something in your life very specifically. So when you do open the Bible, just ask him in prayer to be with you as you read. We are never really alone when we do Bible study because the Holy Spirit wants to be right there with you. Okay, back to this church in the first century. Paul is addressing this issue of motivation and there are two groups of preachers. The first are those that preach out of love. The second those that preach out of envy and rivalry. As preachers prepare and think about the sermon they are going to give, are they longing that what they are about to talk about will help people to know Jesus more in their lives and know the joy that they too have experienced through following Jesus? Or for that second group of preachers, are preachers sometimes seeking to preach better than someone else or to preach in a way that gets them noticed or praised personally. Well, I believe that the preachers at this church and the vast majority of all preachers are in the first group, 
loving to be able to see people coming to a growing realization of the beauty and grace and power of the gospel in their lives. However, there are some times when preachers may be slightly less prepared, or maybe they're feeling tired, or maybe they have a cold, <laughs> or maybe they have something going on in their life. Maybe there's something distracting them or overshadowing their concentration on their talk. Preachers, like all others, are human and are flawed just like all others, like we all are. The encouragement from Paul talking about this second group of people is actually that if we're not on top form when we're talking to a friend or a group or to the whole church, then Paul says the most important thing, though, is that Christ is preached with the Holy Spirit there throughout the process of hearing a message. Nothing is impossible for God. Jesus once said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with him. Although it's lovely to hear nice comments after a service, in fact, if God has prompted you to ponder on anything in Paul's letter, or the words I have said, then pray should go to him. Having the most important thing be that Christ is preached should be such encouragement for each of us. It's not how great an orator we are, thank goodness. It's far more important that we do speak about Jesus. Just witness to the love in your life of him. It can be used by God even if our motivation isn't quite right. For Paul, the most important thing is Christ is preached and the Holy Spirit does the rest. Through all that happened to Paul, he rejoices. He looked for God in all, in his incarceration, and even in how the gospel is being preached. He looked for God, and he saw him. God uses each situation to advance the gospel so that more men, women, children can know him and be more confident in Jesus each day. Not in Paul, and certainly not in any one preacher or any other human being, for that matter, but have a growing confidence and trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So as we close this part of the service, maybe we can join together with Paul and say, as he does at the end of our passage, because of this, we rejoice. Yes, and we will continue to rejoice. Amen.